you know, this is a season where we're getting ready for all these Christmas parties and all these holiday gatherings. Uh, sometimes there's something exciting about getting an invitation. When you get the invitation to the party, to the wedding, to whatever it happens to be, uh, that invitation is exciting because it makes you feel important. It makes you feel noticed. You feel a little bit significant when you get the invitation. Now, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there where, where somebody comes up to you and says, oh, did you get the invitation to so-and-so's party? I'm so excited. And you're sitting there and you're like, no, actually, um, I, I didn't get that invitation. I must be lost in the mail, right? That's a little awkward. Uh, most of the time, though, invitations, they're exciting. They're speaking value to you. You're, you're worth it. You are significant. You're important. Now, there are some invitations that we would rather avoid, right? Like, how many of you would like to avoid the invitation to jury duty? Or you get the invitation that says, hey, you want to come? Uh, I'll give you pizza on Saturday uh, after you help me move all my stuff to the new house. Like, those are the invitations you don't want. But there are some invitations that are truly powerful. In fact, I read this story a number of years ago um, where there was a guy named, named Joe. I don't know his real name. I can't remember what it was, so I'm going to call him Joe, all right? And uh, he grew up with a guy named, named Bob. Again, I don't know if that's really Bob's name. I'm just giving Bob that name. And uh, Bob was growing up, Bob was that weird kid. He was a little different, you know? Maybe you can picture that. And so growing up, Bob was constantly being made fun of. He was constantly being picked on. Uh, bullied, and all of those things, whether it was at school, on the bus, uh, online. He was constantly just the kid that was uh, the center of everybody's ridicule. And there was one particular day that was really hard for, for Bob. Uh, the bullies at school continued to, to, to mock him and tease him. And uh, one day at school, Bob saw uh, a social media post that the bullies had posted about him that just destroyed him. And so that day, Bob is sitting at school, and he's just in tears, just, just, just crying. Well, as he gets ready to get on the bus to go home, the bullies see, hey, look, there's Bob crying. And so when they get off the bus, the bullies come and grab Bob's backpack and take it off his back, and they take all the binder contents and all the papers and all the books, and they throw it in their mud, and they laugh at him. And Joe's kind of sitting around. Joe is on the bus and gets off and sees this happening. And he has some choice words for the bullies and chases them off. And he walks over and he helps Bob pick up his books and dusts them off. And he says, hey, and he, Joe, Joe, is that, is that the name I gave him? Joe notices Bob is, is crying. And he says, hey, man, I'm sorry this happened. Why don't you come over to my house? My mom, I think she was supposed to make cookies today. We'll have some cookies. Maybe we can play some video games. Well, the story goes that years later, Joe Joe, Joe, Joe gets a letter from Bob. And I know some of you are like, a letter? What's a letter? Listen, before we had text messages and email, you actually had to like take a piece of paper and a pen, and you had to like put these characters together that make words and send. It's crazy. Well, so, so Joe gets this letter from Bob, and this is what it says. Bob says, that day, I was tired of being made fun of. I was depressed. And after seeing that social media post that they said about me, he said, I was crying on the bus because I had decided I was going to go home and I was going to take my life. And then you helped me pick up my books. You invited me to your house. Joe, I didn't really want to go. I didn't want to go at all, but something inside of me pushed me 
Joe, I want you to know your invitation and your kindness, it saved my life. I am writing to say thank you. That's a cool story. How many of us can think back to our lives and think, there's been an invitation that has changed my life for good or for bad? How many of us can think of that moment that there was an invitation and that invitation led to something beautiful or remarkable or maybe challenging? I can remember for me, I was a high school senior. I was uh, six foot seven, strong, strapping, very, 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 very attractive. Something happened after I got out of high school. I shrunk and I lost all my attractiveness, but <laughs> we're having some fun with this, right? I was in high school and the most beautiful girl in the world invited me to come to church with her because they were going to go ice skating and have pizza after church. And I'm like, yes, please. I didn't pay any attention to the fact that, well, in order to go ice skating, you had to come and listen to some preacher come, some special preacher was going to come and, and give a talk. And I wasn't really worried about the preacher. I was worried about the girl on the ice skating. I'm like, man, maybe I can bump into her and maybe my hand can touch her hand. I don't know. I, I, you know, who knows what happens with that? And uh, what nobody knew, I think I've told a little bit of the story before, what nobody knew is that that season of my life as a senior in high school, I was wrestling with my faith. I had grown up in the Mormon church, but I started reading the New Testament, started reading the Bible, and I began to see, hey, wait, the Jesus of the Mormon church is not the same Jesus of the Bible. They're two different people. They don't, they don't have the same message. They're not about the same. And I started wrestling through this. Uh, then I had this invitation to come to church. And who would have known? That simple invitation to come ice skating would change my life forever because that was the night that I walked across the line and said, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and I'm going to pursue this Christianity thing. I'm going to pursue Jesus. Cool part of that story, I ended up getting the girl too. Yeah, give me a clap for that. No one expected that. Yeah. Listen, what is the invitation that has marked your life for good or for bad? This December, we're in a series that, uh, based on the little drummer boy. This is a familiar story that so many of us are familiar with at Christmas time. And while it's not a biblical story, it is a story that is ripe with so much uh, meaning and gospel lessons for us as Christians and connections to the real story of Christmas. If you're not familiar with this story, the story of the little drummer boy is that you've got the wise men. They're on their way to go meet Jesus. They've got their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they see a little boy. And the story says he was poor. Uh, the movie, if you've seen the movie, he, he's dirty and disheveled. And the wise men see this little boy, and they're like, hey, come. Come with us. We're going to go meet this newborn king. So the little drummer boy comes with them, and they get to Jesus, and the wise men have their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and these are very wonderful gifts. And they look at the little boy, and the little boy's like, I don't have anything to give. I didn't bring it. Nobody told me, and I didn't really have anything to give anyways. But he looks, and he's like, I do have my drum. And the story says, he looks at Mary and says, shall I play for him? Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. And he plays, and he gets to play and offer that gift to the newborn king of kings. It's a great story. One of the reasons why we are doing this series uh, looking at this story that's not a biblical story this Christmas, is I want us to learn how to engage culture in light of the gospel. 
In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 17. He went to a place um, uh, called Mars Hill. And he showed, hey, here's one of the ways how we can connect with the culture around us that is a secular culture that does not necessarily believe in Jesus and believe in God. He showed us, hey, here's how you can draw some bridges to the culture and to the gospel. And so as we live in this increasing secular world, as Christians, I want us to learn how do we engage the culture in light of Jesus, in light of the gospel. And so that's one of the reasons why we're doing this series is I want to teach us, hey, here's how you find these gospel lessons, and here's ways that we can bring in these gospel conversations amidst the, the culture that's happening all around us. And the lessons of this story are incredible. Last week, last week, we, we drew a connection between the humbleness of the little drummer boy. He's not somebody we would expect to be the one playing for the newborn king of kings. And we saw, that, we saw that connection between his humility and the humility of the, char- the, the characters of the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Nobody would expect them to be the ones that, that God is using to bring in the Savior of the world. And so there's this beautiful connection that God does his greatest work through those that we would least expect, those that simply have a humble faith in him. Next week, we're going to look at that gift that the little drummer boy offers Jesus. And we're going to learn it's not the size of the gift that we give. It's not the size of the gift that we give, but it's the heart behind it that matters. But today, today we're going to look at that invitation. That invitation where the wise men said to the, to the little drummer boy, come, 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 they told me, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. Now, obviously this is a fictional story. But I want, you, I want you to think about it from the little drummer's boy. I want you to think about that invitation and how crazy that invitation is, right? Like, can you imagine, like, like what is the little drummer boy doing, right? He, what is he doing this day? Is he outside with his friends playing marbles? Are, they, are, are his friends out shooting hoops? Is he reading a book? Obviously, we know he's a drummer. So maybe him and his friends are in a, in a punk rock band. They're out in the front. They're just banging on the drums and doing whatever they do. Like, like, what is the little drummer boy doing that day? And, and, and what about this? Like, like, use your imagination. We don't know what happened. I'm trying to get you to dream a little bit. Like, what did the wise men do to actually get the little boy to come with him? Don't, doesn't he know about stranger danger? I mean, did the wise men pull up in their camel uh, cargo van and be like, hey, little boy, you want some ca-? Like, I don't know. I hope not. But like, what did they do to get him to come? And where are his parents where are his parents? Man, that's uh, crazy to think about. And then I think about this. I think the wise man, the story says, it, it probably took them upwards of two years to, to, to travel to Jesus. So at what point did they bring the little drummer boy? Was it like a year in? Was it a couple days before? Like, like at what point do they bring this boy in? We don't know those answers. Use your imagination. I like to use my imagination. But the idea is, do you recognize how remarkable this invitation is? It says, come, they told me. And he responded to the invitation. And because he responded, he got to meet Emmanuel, God in the flesh, Jesus. And his life was different because he had this opportunity. In fact, we're singing a song today about a little drummer boy because he responded to that invitation. Now, we look at the Christmas story the real Christmas story from Scripture. Is there anyone, in, anyone else in this Christmas story that there's this surprising invitation for them to come and meet Jesus? 
There is. There is a surprising invitation. In Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 verse 8, this is what it says. It says, in the same region that Jesus was born, the shepherds were in the field watching their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. That unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there with the angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on those with whom he is pleased. Here's the shepherds, right? And what are they doing? They're out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. This is just, they're just at work. This is their job. Again, we talked about last week how shepherds, they are lowly characters. They're, they're insignificant. They, they are working with sheep, so they probably smelled like sheep. They're an outsider of society. They're typically lower class. They're typically in poverty. What do you think they're talking about that night? Again, put yourself in the story. What do you think these shepherds are talking about? I can imagine one of them being like, oh, man, I can't wait to watch the Seahawks play later. It's going to be amazing. Maybe they're talking about, did you see that cute girl? Uh, yeah, she walked by our sheep and kind of looked at us funny, but that girl, she was really cute. Maybe one of the shepherds is like, hey, dude, this is crazy. I got this email from a Nigerian prince that said he'll give us a million dollars if we give him our bank account. Like, like, what do you think the shepherds are talking about that night? Yet, then comes this angel with this invitation. I bring you good news of great joy that you will find the Savior wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And that's the invitation. Hey, come find this baby. And I, I put myself in the story, and I'm on the shepherds, and I'm like, yeah, we could go see this newborn baby, but, like, who's going to watch the sheep? Right? This is my, like, I can't get a better job. Who's going to watch the sheep? But like the little drummer boy, those shepherds respond. It says in verse 15 that we angels went away and up to heaven. The shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And because of that, because they responded to the invitation, look what happens in verse 17. It says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them. Verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. You see that connection between the drummer boy and the shepherds? They were given the simple invitation, come, come. We're going to go worship the newborn king of kings. Come, go see the baby lying uh, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And they respond, and their lives were dramatically changed because they responded to that invitation. You know, what's funny is we start thinking about faith. And so often when we talk about faith, so often what we want to do is we want to base our faith off a bunch of lists. We base our faith off things we're supposed to do, right? I mean, this is, this is what we do with religion. We say, well, there's a bunch of things we have to do. We got to follow the Ten Commandments, right? Or, or we look elsewhere in Scripture, and we're like, well, Micah 6, 8 says we're supposed to uh, uh, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. James 1.27 tells us pure religion is to take care of the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And so when we talk about faith, usually we're like, hey, this is what we have to do to, to, to please God. This is what we have to do to look the part of a Christian. But you know, when you read the New Testament, 
And this might be surprising. When you read the New Testament, Jesus' focus is not about making better people. His focus is simply an invitation to come, an invitation to know him. In fact, this is, this is a key part of Christianity. This is what makes Christianity different than all religions in the world. Religions tell you what you have to do to make God pleased with you, to make God forgive you, to make God love you, to, to make God take you into heaven. But Christianity, it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And the invitation then is not for us to come and do. The invitation for us is to come and receive what he has done for us. Listen, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're kind of like the little drummer boy and the shepherds. You're just busy living life. You're going to work. You're coming back and you're playing in your punk band. You're playing your little drum. You're not really looking for God. You're just kind of living life. Maybe for you, maybe you're just hurting. You're struggling. You know, in fact, when we get to uh, the time of year like this and the holidays, it's kind of like our grief and our hurt and our pain can often be amplified in the season of celebration and, and holidays. Maybe for you, maybe you're, you're, you're kind of searching for answers. You've got questions, you've got some struggles, and maybe you're just looking for answers. Listen, this morning I want you to know that Jesus doesn't have a bunch of things for you to do. No, what he asks for you is simply an invitation, an invitation to come and to experience him and all that he has to offer. This morning, we're going to look at two of the invitations that, that Jesus has in the New Testament. The first one is an invitation simply to know him. He invites us to know him. See, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 35, John the Baptist uh, is there with his disciples, and he sees Jesus. And he tells his disciples, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He tells his disciples, hey, look, this is the Savior. And it says that two of disciples started following Jesus. Now again, what's going on? John the Baptist, he's the forerunner for Jesus. He's the one who's supposed to point to Jesus being the Savior of the world. That's his job. And so when he sees Jesus, he tells his disciples, listen, this is what it's about. This is the Messiah. Now, his disciples, though, undoubtedly, they've heard about the Messiah. The people of God, they've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for this day, for the Savior to come and make all things right. And here's John pointing to Jesus, and the disciples are like, Jesus? From Nazareth? Like, he doesn't look like he's the Savior. He doesn't look like he's the one that's going to fix all that's gone wrong and make everything right. He's the son of a carpenter. Like, no way. He's the son of a teen mom. Like, this guy is the answer to the world? Can you imagine the questions, the, the doubts, maybe the hesitation that the disciples have when John points to Jesus and says, this is a Messiah. So they started following Jesus. Verse 38 says, Jesus looks at them and says, what are you looking for? And they respond and say, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and you'll see. And they went and stayed with him for a day. Did you hear that invitation? Come and see. Come and see. See, culturally, that invitation to come and see, Jesus was saying, I want you to come. 
come into my home. Come into my life. Come and spend time with me. Come and have a meal with me. Come and sit and talk with me. Come have a chance to get to know me. That's what this invitation is. Come and see. Come and experience. Come and see. See, there's a difference between just knowing about somebody and actually knowing someone personally, right? There's a big difference. Like, we would all say we know about people. We know about uh, uh, some faith. We know about the queen. She's dead. We know about the king, right? We know about the royal family. We don't know them personally. It's kind of like this. There was, a, uh, there was a, a guy that runs into my circles who moved to town a couple years ago. And uh, I hadn't met him. I heard a lot about him. He came in and, and his organization, he, did, he brought a lot of change. He's doing a lot of things different than the way they'd ever been done. And you know, there's some people that didn't like what he was doing. And I'm hearing this and it kind of skewed my opinion of this man. I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't think I like him. I've heard enough about him that I'm like, I have my doubts. I have my hesitation. I have questions about this dude. Well, then the dude called me and said, hey, I'd like to meet you. You want to sit down and have a meal? And we went out to lunch. And I sat down with him. I heard the guy's heart. I heard a story. I heard what he's about. And I'm like, wow. Like, this brings so much enlightenment to me. Like, I can understand who this guy is and what he's trying to accomplish. Because there's a difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them personally. I think, I think that's what Jesus is saying here. You know about me. I'm inviting you to come and see. See, here's the thing. Jesus, he knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. He knows our doubts. He knows our questions. He knows our hesitation. And this invitation to these disciples is come and see. Come and bring your doubt. Come and bring your questions. Come and bring your hesitation. Come check me out. Come and see if I'm the real deal. Come and get to know me and let that be your answer as to whether I am the Savior, whether I can fix what's gone wrong. The disciples, they do. They come and they see and they spend time with him. And they realize he is the Messiah. And they give their lives to follow him and join his mission. I think sometimes what happens in the church and in our culture is sometimes we don't think that we can bring our questions and our doubts and our hesitations to God. We, we feel like, well, I, I can't struggle in my faith. I can't acknowledge that I have doubts because, you know, good Christians don't have doubts. Listen, I want you to hear God's not afraid of your doubts. Do you know that? God's not afraid of your hesitation. He's not afraid of your questions. You know Why? Because people have been questioning him for thousands of years. You're not the first. You're not going to be the last. He's not afraid of it. Nothing's new to him. He's the all-knowing God. He knows what's going on in your heart already. Listen, some of y'all, this is where you're at. You're sitting there, and you're struggling with faith. You're struggling with God. You're struggling with the church. You've got some doubt. You've got some hurt. You've got some questions. Man, what's going on here? Listen, I want you to know that that invitation stands. That invitation stands. Come and see. Come and check it out. Come check out Jesus. Come check out this faith thing. Bring your doubts. Bring your concerns. Bring your questions. Listen, I can't promise you that you're going to have all your questions answered. But I can say that when you come and explore faith, when you come and explore Jesus, when you come explore the church, 
You get the chance not just to know about him, but you get the chance to know him personally. And a personal relationship with him will change everything. That's the first invitation. An invitation for us to come and see, to come and get to know him. The second invitation this morning is an invitation to come and experience rest. I mean, I think we can all agree, life is busy. Especially get to the holiday season, you've got all this stuff going on. You've got this party and that party, and you've got all these things going on. And, and, and honestly, we're coming on the end of a, of a long week, and my wife and I are like, man, when do we get to just rest? Is that like two weeks from now? Two, two weeks. We're going to circle the date on the calendar. We'll be able to sleep in on that day. And then you deal with life, and we can all agree life can be hard, right? Life is difficult. There's broken things. There's problems all around. That's not the way that God designed it. God didn't design life to be hard. No, he, he put us in the garden and said, this is a perfect place. But then sin entered the world, and sin took our rest and our peace away. And ever since then, we've had thorns and thistles and life. We have pain and hurt and divorce and broken relationships and financial struggles and all these problems that we deal with in life. I mean, how many, how many of us feel those burdens and those weights on our shoulders right now? As we head into the holiday season, we feel those burdens of relationships that are struggling. Man, this relationship with my spouse, relationship with my family, with my children. Things are, are difficult. I feel the, the, the weight and the burden of that. Some of us are dealing with the weight and the burden of sin. We've got some sin that is present. We can't seem to get a hold of it, and it's wreaking havoc in our life. Some of us feel the weight and the burden of, of trying to control life, right? We're trying to control what happens in all these areas of our life, and we find as hard as we try and find control, like, like we can't control life. It's out of our control. Things happen that we can't we can't dictate. Some of us are struggling with the weight of grief for the loss of someone we've loved. We've got some hurt that we're dealing with. We've got pain. We've got bitterness. We've got addiction. We've got financial issues. And how many of us feel the weight of those right now on our shoulders, bearing down on us, keeping us up at night, robbing us of joy, robbing us of the ability to enjoy even the, the, the joy of the season. Listen to this invitation, though. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That is a profound invitation to come, and I will give you rest. When he says come, what this means is a very simple word. It means to leave one thing and go to another. That means, hey, leave behind your burden. Leave behind your sin. That thing that's weighing you down, the thing that, that is so overwhelming to you, leave it here and come to me. This is the invitation. Come, you who are exhausted, who are overwhelmed, who are bitter, who are grieving, who are angry, who are addicted, who are not satisfied with the way things are going in your life. He says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good about right now. That sounds good about right now. And the question is, well, well Jesus, how do, I, how do you give me rest? And listen to this, verse 29. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And take my yoke. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This idea of a, of a yoke. A yoke is, is a wood beam that you would place on the neck of an animal. You'd place that on the neck of two animals. And behind it, you would t- t- they, they bring a plow or a cart, and those animals would, would, would pull that thing around. And what Jesus is saying is, is, hey, many of us, we've got that yoke on our back. We've got it around our neck. We've got all this weight on us, all this burden. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, not, I'm offering to change it, exchange it with you. I'll take your burden. I'll take that thing that's weighing you down. I'll take that thing that's keeping you up at night. I'll take that thing that is giving you anxiety. I'll take that and I'll give you mine. And my yoke is easy and my yoke is light. This is an invitation to come and exchange it with him. And I love this. In Psalm 127, there's a beautiful picture of this idea of rest. In Psalm 127, it writes, Unless the Lord builds the house, his builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and go to bed late. Working hard to care, take care of everything, the Lord gives sleep to the ones he loves. That is such a beautiful picture. Because here we are, we've got these burdens, we've got these things that stress us out. All these things that we feel are on our shoulders. And what Jesus, what, what Scripture just said, is we will work ourselves crazy. But listen, if, if the Lord doesn't build the house, we labor in vain. We can stay up all night stressing over what's going to happen with our finances and what's happening in our relationships, what's happening with our kids, what's happening with our work. We can stress ourselves over it. And and Jesus is saying, you're doing it in vain. Unless you allow the Lord to build the house. Unless you allow the Lord to take that burden for you. That's the invitation to come and, and come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest is let me take that heavy stuff. Let me take responsibility for it. Trust me with it. Trust me with it. And then when you do that, that is when the Lord gives us rest. For those things that keep us up at night, it's not that we're not worrying about them anymore. It's not that they don't, there. It's just we're trusting them to God. God, I've got this relationship and it's falling apart and I don't know what to do and it's overwhelming me. But God, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to work things out. I'm going to trust that you're good. We've got these financial problems. God, I don't know how it's going to work out. And it's just, man, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. And I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to believe you're going to work it out. And I will give you rest. Can we acknowledge that maybe God is a little more capable than we are? Maybe he's a little bit more capable than we are. How many of us have tried to do things on our own and we make a mess of things and we're like, man, if I just would have listened a long time ago. Listen, here's our summary for this message this morning. Here's what I want you to learn. That Jesus invites us to come to know him and experience a life-changing relationship with him. Listen, that is a message of, of Scripture. It's not to come and do, but to come and to know him. Have a relationship with him, and that changes everything. Two simple application points. Number one, we need to respond to the invitation. 
Again, I think about the story of the little shepherd boy. The wise men come, hey, little boy, come with us. He didn't have to respond. He didn't have to say yes, but he did. His life was changed. Those shepherds, they're out in the field. They could have said, oh, we've got stuff to do. We've got sheep to keep track of. We probably got to feed them. We probably got to, I don't know what else you do with sheep. What do you do with sheep? You you don't don't milk them. What do you do with sheep? I don't know what you do with sheep. You, You shave them? I don't know. We've got stuff to do with the sheep. But no, they responded and say, okay, we're going to go find this, this newborn Jesus. And their lives were changed forever. Listen, the invitation is there for you this morning to come to know him. When you're looking for answers, Jesus says, hey, come. Come and know me. Come and see. Struggling with, 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 with burdens and weights and difficulty, Jesus says, come. I have peace. I have rest that I will give you. The question is, will you respond to the invitation to come? The question then becomes, well, man, I'm trying to come to Jesus. Like, I'm trying to figure this faith thing out. I, I want to come to him. How do I do that? Well, it's simple. See, that, that text in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Just before Jesus said that, Jesus was talking about three, Jesus talks and he rebukes three cities. There are three cities. He rebukes them because they will not believe in him. And then right after Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Right after that, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus rebukes the religious leaders for the same thing because they will not believe in him. See, coming to Jesus, very simply, means that we have to believe in him and trust in him. That's what it means to come to Jesus is that we believe in him and we trust in him. In fact, I'd go out on a limb and say the root issue, the root issue in our life is not a sin problem. The root issue is a belief problem. We believe we know better than God. We believe, no, God, I know the way to rest. I know if I want rest, it's going to be me making more money and me maybe getting a new relationship and, and me trying to make things happen on our own. We believe, well, I know the right way to God. It's through doing all this stuff for him and and, and trying to be a good person. No, the root issue is a belief issue because we do not believe he is who he says he is. We do not believe what he says about himself. This is why Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Come and see and I will show you I am who I said I am. He says, come and believe in me. What is it you need to believe about Jesus this morning? Believe that he is the savior of the world? Maybe you need to believe that he's the one who will fix what's gone wrong in your heart and in your life. Because how many of us spend our entire life trying to fix what's gone wrong inside of us? I'm going to fix it. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And Jesus is saying, believe I'm the answer. Believe I'm the one who, who loves you and cares for you. Believe I want the best for you. Believe, believe, I can handle the issues in your finances. I can handle the issues in your marriage. I can handle the issues with your children. Believe I am here to help you overcome the issues. Believe I am the one who will change you from the inside out. Listen, some of us are sitting here, and we've got these issues. And the invitation for us this morning is to come and receive, to believe, to believe in who he says he is to believe what he's able to do, to believe he is our savior. 
Second point of application. You know, I took a picture of these uh, butter toffee cashews from Costco. Has anybody tried these? They're terrible. They are horrible and amazing. We have some friends that, that uh, bought salmon a bag. And I, I'll just eat the whole bag in one sitting. They're terrible. I hate them. I can't, I, like I'm trying to determine, are these like, are these from God because they're so good? Are they from Satan because I have no self-control when you put the bag in front of me? They're horrible. Go buy them. You'll, you, you, oh, man, oh, oh. It makes me hungry just thinking about it. And the thing is, I ate my bag, so I don't have any left. But when I had a bag, if you came to my house, I'm going to put the bag in front of you. I'm like, you've got to try these. These are amazing. They're going to change your life. They're amazing. Like, if I could buy stock in these, I would totally buy stock in these and become a very wealthy person. They're that good. So you come to my house, I'm going to put some in front of you and say, you've got to try these. Listen, the second application this morning is who are you inviting to come meet Jesus? See, we're at church. And most of us in this room would say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Do you believe that Jesus is the one way to have a right relationship with God? Do you believe that Jesus is the answer to the problems in our lives? Do you believe Jesus makes our life right? You know, what I find remarkable is many of us claim to believe it, yet we don't tell anybody else about it. Like, if we really believe it, I mean, think about that. The things you love, like butter, toffee, cashews, you want everyone to know about like, if we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, why aren't we shouting it from the rooftops? Why don't we want everyone to come and experience salvation through him? I know sometimes we have these excuses of, of, well, who am I to tell someone else what to believe or how to live? Well, I'd ask you, do you believe that Jesus is the one way to God? Do you believe Jesus is, is the answer? Because if you do, it's almost more loving to say, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe. It's almost more unloving, it's more hateful to completely disregard and not point someone to the answer. The second issue is, well, of course I want people to know Jesus, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. I don't know how to, to I don't know all the answers. What if they have questions and I can answer the, 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 the questions? Like, I just don't know. It makes me nervous. I don't know how to do that. Listen, there's a pattern in Scripture that's very simple on how to share Jesus. You see it in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, uh, Philip becomes a follower of Jesus. And what Philip does, he goes and finds his friends Nathaniel. He's like, hey, bro, we found him. We found the Savior. We found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know what Philip says? Come and see. Come and see. Come and check it out. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus interacts with the woman at the well. He reveals himself as a, as a Messiah, and she marvels at his grace. And what does she do? She goes in the town, and she tells all the people, uh, she says, there's a man who knows everything about me. Come and see. I think he's the Messiah. Come and see. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has died and is buried in the grave. 
And the women, they showed up on Sunday morning to anoint the body, and they find the stone has been rolled away. And the story of the angel appeared. The angel says, he is not here. He has risen from the grave. And what does the angel say? Come and see the place where his body has lay, and then go and tell. Listen, if we believe that Jesus is the answer, if we believe that Jesus is the hope in God, if we believe he changes lives, if we believe he heals the broken parts of our lives, if we believe life is better with him, who are we sharing that with? I'm not saying you have to have all the answers. But who are we inviting to come and see? Come to church and see. Experience for yourself. Come to my Bible study. Let's open this book together. Come and see if this is the Jesus who will fix everything that's gone wrong in our lives. Come and read about him. You know, because it's surprising. In a room of people who claim to believe this, uh, we're so indifferent to the people around us. You know, this Christmas, we've been intentional here at the church. We came up with a list of 100 names, 100 people that we are praying for every week that they would come to know Jesus. The question is, will you invite that person to come and see? We've been talking about a Christmas Eve service. Christmas Eve might be my favorite service, hands down, of the year. I love it. It is amazing, wonderful, beautiful, all those things. Who are you inviting to that service? Maybe today is the day that you need to send the text. Maybe today is the day that you need to share on social media. Maybe today is the day that you need to tell your family, hey, I know we're going to come and celebrate Christmas Eve together, but we're going to start Christmas Eve this year at church. Because I tell you what, if we claim to believe that Jesus is the answer, shouldn't we do anything, everything in our power to get others to believe and hear that same message? And the best thing is, you don't have to have all the answers. The pretty girl who invited me to go ice skating didn't have all the answers. It was simply a vacation. Hey, come ice skating with me. And at that point, I responded and crossed that line of faith, and my life has never been the same, never been the same. Imagine the life that you could change simply by saying, come, come and see. Just pray.